If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Today's chat's been brought to you by International Horse College. International Horse College's motto is people safety and horse welfare, and you'll find this message throughout our chats. Registered Training Organisation number 31352. Today's guest is someone who's had the highs and lows of living in a remote community in Australia. This is Nicole Mudamer. She lives in the Northern Territory. She was raised in the Northern Territory, and we're going to talk about that throughout the interview. She's the owner-operator of Darwin Equestrian Centre, or Darwin Equestrian Academy, and is an equestrian coach and trainer. How are you today, Nicole? Good, thanks, Glennis. Thanks Good. for having me. That's all right. Look, lovely to talk to you, and I'm sure you're going to have a lot of insights into horses that, you know, living in the city and a lot of people from different countries are going to go, wow, it really is different where you live. You know, like we've all got horses and we've all got that common thread and common interest, but different in your part of the country. Yeah. All right. But let's start off with your favourite quote. Okay. So my favourite quote is uh, one by Dr. Andrew McLean. Mm -hmm. So, um, and the quote is, we should see every disobedience as a failure of our timing and reinforcements, not as a failure of the horse. Mm -hmm. So I, uh, I think I, I connect with that quote in that, you know, often as when we're training or coaching that we sort of, can, you know, like it's easy to sort of say, oh, he should, you know, my horse knows, he knows this or he yep. should have done this yep. or he should have done that instead of just looking at right, what in my ride says whatever he's heard, you know, mm. that we've, we've got to just always go back to looking at what we've done as riders. Yes. Um, that has made the horse think that that was the right answer because he's only ever going to answer what he hears. Mm. So... For me, that one sort of really resonates that I sort of go, yeah, look, I I think as trainers we sort of have to always be thinking that way rather than, yeah, the horse is being, you know, he's being rude or he's, you know, doesn't want to doesn't want to do it, but he knows what he should be doing because, like I said, they're only ever going to answer what they hear. And I think that's a little bit of a maturity as a horse person, isn't it? You know, that we're not blaming the horse we're using the horse as a reflection on what we're giving out. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, we're uh, horse riding. I think I think what's remarkable about it is that it actually teaches you more about yourself. Yes. And about managing your emotions and about, um, yeah, emotional maturity probably in mm -hmm. lots of ways. Um so, yeah, and I don't know that we get that in other sports. I don't know, or at least to the extent that horse riding sort of makes you definitely have some real insight into your own emotions and, um, yeah, even your state of mind. Yep. So I think horses are really remarkable like that. Mm. I think in other sports, you know, there's team sports, but usually everyone's on, on the same team and working towards the same goal, whereas the horse, they're a little bit of a an unknown quantity when they're being brought into the team. You know, you have them and you train them, but you've still got to respect them as an individual and you can't just force them into that team environment. Oh, absolutely. And look, the, 
you know, the obviously what we sort of say, it's the the hardest thing about getting two brains to work together as one. And of course, you know, the horse is um, always going to be, you know, they'll have different motivations, whether it's, you know, food or whether he's herd bound or whether, you know, he just, they'll have different motivations. So it's complex in that sense because we never get the same ride. We've got to be, you know, versatile enough to be riding almost a different horse every time <laughs> in terms of, yeah, that they they are their own their own being. So they, yep. of course, naturally have have responses to outside things. Obviously, in training, we work towards eliminating or reducing those. But, um, but definitely that, you know, I often joke when I'm coaching or, or we, we discuss that even in going in a different direction, you might have a completely different ride or a different horse. Mm-hmm. So going, say, so going away from the other horses, you yep. might have to ride quite a bit more forward, and then heading back towards the horses, you might <laughs> have to be waiting a little bit. So yes. it's it's that complexity of not having it's it's not necessarily a, a consistent, stable thing all the time that we've got to be really variable and adjustable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when we do get it right, isn't it brilliant? Oh, look, it's it's addictive. <laughs> yes, yes, nothing quite like it. It really is. And I, I think that, um, you know, when you've sort of, you've had those little glimpses of how amazing it is. Yeah. That's, that's sort of what gets you stuck, I think. Yeah, it gets everyone hooked. Yeah. All right. Now, look, you've got a bit of a different story. Tell us about... You know, horses aside, like where you grew up until how old was it before you moved to Darwin? So I grew up in Larimer, which is yep. central sort of Northern Territory. It's, you know, fairly remote. And how many people were in the town? There were 12 people when we lived there. <laughs> okay. And we were four of them, so, yes. <laughs> as in my family. Yep, yep. And where you lived, the property where you lived, how close was your nearest neighbour? So it was. They were sort of all cattle, you know. It's all cattle country yes. out there. So it was about fifty k's was our closest neighbour, yeah. which is about thirty five miles, isn't it? Is that yeah. right? Yeah, thirty yeah. six miles, maybe something. Yeah, thirty five, maybe a little bit less. Yeah. yeah. So we did. Yeah. We did school of the air, so school by radio, and yep. um, there was one. There was one other kid in the town, or one other young fella who was a year older than me. So. Yeah, so that was that was it. So we sort of, I think, in that sense, you know, horses were kind of well. That was sort of really all all there was to do because you couldn't sort of go and play, couldn't go and play netball, or you couldn't, you know, there wasn't wasn't sort of too many options. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Well, look, I think from there, you know, having horses and having them as something that was just, I suppose, a way of life. Going then, when you came to the city, which is Darwin, which was some, um, were you there yep. before the cyclone? Be after the cyclone? Because it really no, developed. after the cyclone. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So so we moved up to Darwin. Um, when my sister and I sort of hit high school age, because um, obviously for schooling we sort of needed to move yep. to a major centre. So um, so that's when we moved to Darwin. And, and that was sort of the first time that that I'd had any formal training, like mm-hmm. for, for riding. So we yes. sort of went to pony club and and that was, yeah, up until then it had sort of just been, um, 
point and shoot kind of thing, like you sort of learn to stay on. <laughs> yes. Pretty good. And <laughs> and uh, so Pony Club was, was a really big influence, actually, as a young, you know, rider or a teenage rider. And it was, and I remember just craving this, you know, information and and knowledge of sort of going, oh, like, like that's how it all sort of fits together. So yep. Pony Club was actually a really big influence for me as a teenager. And, and I remember like you, you know, so we had Pony Club every Sunday yep. morning mm-hmm. and for the Pony Club season. And, yeah, like you, you didn't miss Pony Club for anything. Yeah. Like it was, it was the highlight of your week. I just want to take you back just to a little bit before then, your saddles. What sort of saddle did you have or did you have a saddle? <laughs> so when we were when we were in Lama when we were um we had a we had a big old stock saddle that one of um one of the station managers had actually given us and it was I'm sure it must have weighed about twenty kilos. <laughs> and as <laughs> as kids we actually couldn't you know, mum and dad weren't around all the time to sort of saddle the horse and that sort of thing yeah. and and uh, we couldn't get the we couldn't lift the saddle onto the horse so <laughs> So ninety percent of the time we sort of rode bareback, yep. and you know because yeah you couldn't we couldn't lift the saddle onto the horse, so yep. Yep. that was um, yeah. And and tell That's us because I know started. you said about the pony club season, right? Now you know like a lot of times yep. you'll have a competition season because you might stop at Christmas time for a few celebrations. But tell us about the two seasons or the seasons in Darwin. Yeah, so we have we have a a wet season and dry season. Mm-hmm. So basically the wet season, not much not much happens in the wet season up here in terms of horses because it's obviously too wet. So even in the, you know, like now in the competition season, so we're sort of just getting to the end of our competition season now, but uh, a lot of people send their horses south after the, the competition season's finished so that they get them out of here before the wet season because it's... Um, it's, it is really tough on horses up here. Um, in the wet season, dry season is good, but the wet season is definitely really tough on horses. So what sort of things does a horse have to cope with when it's the wet season? Yes. I mean, obviously tropics, you know, it's in the wet season, it's that high humidity, mm-hmm. and that's what seems to knock horses around more than anything is not necessarily the temperature because we tend to, you know, in the wet season, yeah, might be, might be you know 38 it might get to 38 degrees but it's a really high humidity so obviously um we see other states new south wales and you know that'll get that'll get hot in summer but they obviously don't have that that high humidity constantly so we see some horses get a condition called the puffs so basically yep. where the, the sweating mechanism shuts down and they stop sweating and it's it's yeah, it's an awful thing to see because horses get you know really stressed because mm-hmm. they're, they're overheating basically. Yep. Um, and then obviously we get lots of tropical conditions, you know, so fungal conditions in the you know with the skin and that and the feet and that sort of thing because of the you know the moisture and just the ground's wet all the time and that sort of thing. So yeah, getting your horses through the wet season can be a bit of a chore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, come the dry season, obviously it's you know we we don't sort of get any rain, and that's when that's when all of our events are on. But it it's our our season 
comparatively is probably quite short, as in most of our competitions will happen between April and August. Yep. So, and then the wet season, like it does make it a bit hard, is sort of, you only have sort of a few, you know, hours in the morning and a few hours of an evening that that you can sort of work horses Mm -hmm. because otherwise it is just too hot. Yep. Yep. So heat, stress and that sort of thing is something that we've got to be really careful of. Uh Okay, so that the paths are in hydrosis, that's fairly common up there for horses that stay there. What percentage of horses do you think would have be affected in some way? Yeah, so there doesn't seem to be any real formula to work out which horses are going to get it and which aren't. So mm-hmm. typically, you know, it was always thought of as something, a condition that horses that came from South originally, you know, got. But yep. Look, I've seen I've seen horses, you know, that have been territory bred horses that have have developed it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, and it doesn't seem to be specific to you know thoroughbreds or you know. I mean, we see ponies that puff. Um, so it it sort of seems to be a bit hit and miss, bit of a lucky dip. Which you know, which horses are going to cope with <laughs> the heat and yep. which aren't. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, thinking of pony club, you know, because we were talking about starting off in pony club when you first came to Darwin. Jumping from there to having a career with horses, because you're now the owner-operator of the Darwin Equestrian Academy. Yeah. Yeah, so I've done, I mean, I, uh, as a, you know, sort of growing up, I've done a lot of different paid work that have been horse-related jobs. So, you know, from stable hand sort of work to strapping at the racetrack and, and you know, working working horses, schooling horses for people and, and you know, doing a bit of part-time coaching and that sort of thing sort of mm-hmm. all started, yep. you know, fairly early for sure. me, I suppose. But I I guess I always um, probably thought of it more as, um, as probably not really as a career path. I mean, it was pretty hot, hard work. <laughs> yes. So I probably didn't really look at it as a, as a full-time career path, mm-hmm. um, and look, there there weren't there weren't the, the opportunities I think then that there are now for people to get into equine-related industries. Like, Definitely, like yep. now when I look at yeah, it's the a lot more awareness. Yeah. The things available, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we definitely didn't have that then, so your your scope was definitely a lot a lot narrower. Um, in terms of you know like career paths, whereas yeah now now I think it's amazing. Um, so um, so I I went to I went to uni and I studied science and then I ended up getting uh, an admin job with NT Police mm-hmm. and I worked I worked for NT Police for uh, several years and then I eventually ended up um, being the manager manager of the PCYC so. Uh, and they have a police riding school, so a PCY okay. yep. yep. riding school. And yep. so through them, I sort of ended up obviously managing the riding school and doing a lot of um, like juvenile diversion programs and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously working full-time with the horses. Yep. And, um, yeah, so I, that's sort of where I probably, yeah, thought, oh, maybe this is something that I would like, you know, that I would do full-time. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I made the leap from there into self-employment and, and obviously wanted to, yeah, focus more on dressage and show jumping yep. disciplines, although I I don't I don't like to pigeonhole riding into 
codes or disciplines, I sort of think good horsemanship is good horsemanship. So, um, but yeah, I guess that's that's sort of the line that I wanted to follow. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. What do you think then, if you were going to have someone to work for you or someone that's going to look, if you're interviewing people to work, what sort of core skills or character traits would you see that they would need to work in the horse industry? So, firstly, I think it's a love job. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> but you're probably not going to get rich doing it. Um, so you need to be in it for the right reasons. Like you've got to be doing it because you love it um, and because you're passionate about it. So um, I think passion will probably get you a long way. Mm-hmm. Um, they need to be hardworking. Like I work longer hours now than most people would in a full-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no weekends off. Horses are 24-7. So, um, yeah, you've got to be prepared to work hard, to get your hands dirty. And, you know, to do the, yeah, to do all the jobs. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I still, I still clean stables. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you sort of have to, have to take the good part and the bad. Do you think that stops you having to go to the gym? You don't need to go to the gym as much Sorry, or at all? No, I don't go to the gym. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have time to go to the gym, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, like you definitely, you know, I think uh, anyone who does is in the horse industry knows that it's that it's hard work. Yeah. You know, yep. you've got to be prepared to work hard and you've got to be disciplined. So I think, um, and self-motivated, like I kind of think, well, yeah, you, you have to get up every day you have to put in 100% and, you know, regardless of whether it's too hot, too cold, raining, you know, like you just have to get out there and do the job. So, sure. yeah, so it takes, it takes a bit of discipline, I think. Um, another thing is horsemanship skills. I always think horses are a 20-year apprenticeship. Yep. It's not a four-year apprenticeship. It's a 20-year apprenticeship and then some. So... You know, for young people who are sort of looking at doing horses as a career, be prepared to get in, get some serious hours under your belt because, like I said, it's not a four-year apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I sort of think, you know, we've got to always be evolving and learning and growing. Yep. So at, at, at whatever point you're at, mm-hmm. you know, we have to still be looking at how we can do things better. And then the other thing is I always think you should... You should treat your horse customers with as much respect as you treat your human customers. So, you know, it's that thing of going, there's every horse you get to work with is is a privilege, I think. Mm -hmm. And, you know, regardless of whether it's something that you would choose to, you know, to ride yourself or not, you sort of got to, yeah, you just treat it as a privilege. And I look every day I go out in the arena, I do sort of, remind myself that and I often remind my riders <laughs> yes that at some stage every little girl wants a pony mm-hmm. so and I kind of think there's probably only one percent of one percent of little girls in the world that that get the dream yeah that get the dream of having the pony so I always sort of remind myself that I'm the one percent of one percent that gets mm-hmm. to live the dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
What do you think if you're going to single it down to one best thing? You know, living the dream, is it the full lifestyle or or one particular thing? Uh, I think, yeah, look, it's a lifestyle. It's not a a job. It is a lifestyle. Mm. Yeah, yeah. All right, then what about people who've influenced you? So we're we're quite fortunate that we um, have some excellent, especially show jump coaches um, that visit Darwin regularly. So... Probably two of them that have been my biggest influences in show jumping have been David Finch and Clem Smith. Mm-hmm. And then probably in terms of overall horsemanship, probably Andrew McLean from Equitation Science International. Yep. I sort of really, yeah, follow his work. I think he's um, he's quite, quite an amazing man. And that's influenced you a fair bit, you know, because you were doing with the equine science and, and sort of the mixture of the classical and the equine science. Yeah, so I think um, I think it's it's important to understand, obviously, as riders and as trainers, firstly biomechanics and you know um, behavioural science. So we've got to know how horses learn. Mm-hmm. We've got to know why they behave in certain ways. And, yeah, so obviously the better we, we understand how they're actually wired, then the better the better we can, you know, influence them. Obviously, you know, continuing to practice, you know, humane training practices, I think um, that's really important. Yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Thinking about horses, have you got a particular horse that you think that you've learned a lot from that's influenced you? Tell us about that. Yeah, I do. I mean, I've been lucky over the years to have had some some great horses, but there's I many years ago by default <laughs> sometimes <laughs> I acquired happens. a thoroughbred called Yeah, so I didn't really get to pick him, but um, hmm. I think he picked he picked me. So yeah. that this sort of went that way. But um, so um, called Optimus Prime was a thoroughbred, and um, he'd come off the racetrack, and he was. He had some fairly serious behavioural problems and was was unusually aggressive, and he was definitely by far the most difficult horse that I've worked with. Mm-hmm. Um, he just didn't really fit the mould, yeah, and he certainly made me think outside of the box. So, um, a lot of at the time, like a lot of people, you know, that I, you know, would would consult with that I sort of. Um, respected a lot as as horse people and recommended that I probably get rid of it, mm. um, and that it that it probably wasn't fixable. Anyway, obviously I I persevered with him. Um, and look, he was probably the horse that forced me to look for alternative training methods and okay. and to get really good at groundwork. <laughs> yes, yes, I got really good at groundwork, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and. Uh, he taught me how to listen. Mm. He was he was this incredibly sensitive horse, so everything in his world was really loud. And he showed me he showed me the difference between a mechanical ride and an instinctive ride. Like mm-hmm. it was it was yeah, it was this whole other world. It was you know quite amazing, and um, yeah, just how subtle. And how intuitive horses can be, like the most subtle little cues that you pick up on. Um, so we ended up having a, a really great partnership. But the funny thing is that he he probably taught me more about myself 
and about my body language, um, my thoughts and how they related to my energy. Yep. So he, he sort of really opened up my eyes at once. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the way you talked about him showing you and he showed you, he taught you. So you've obviously learned a lot yeah. from him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was a he was a really big turning point that horse. Mm, mm. Mm-hmm. Thinking about your proudest moment, what was that? Yeah, so that's sort of um, that's a tough one. It's funny because I don't really think of it in terms of like winning ribbons or titles. Mm. Um, I I get a real I get a lot of a lot of enjoyment, and I get a real you know sense of achievement I suppose and satisfaction out of just working with horses that that have problems I guess it's I find it fascinating working out what their triggers are yep what you know what their fears are what triggers their anxiety and then to be able to fix it and for them and to see them happily happy in their job and that yeah the world just becomes a better place for them that's really nice to see mm, mm, mm. Oh, hang on a sec. Let me interrupt to let people know about the horse industry qualifications at onlinehorsecollege.com. If you have a look at the flexible options, there's online theory and the practical components can be completed by video or with a qualified expert in your area. That website again is onlinehorsecollege.com. Okay, thanks. Thinking about where you are now, everything you've learned about horses, Mm. What do you think was a challenging time that you had when maybe things weren't going so well? You know, I mean, you're at the stage now where you're recognising and you're saying, the horses showed me, I've learned from this horse. Was there a time that you ever thought, mm. oh, how can I get around this or what can I do? Ah, oh, yeah, look, there's definitely, I mean, we've. I think as riders we've probably all been in that space of just being frustrated and not knowing how to... You know, you you recognise that what you're doing is not working. Mm-hmm. You know, it, and not having perhaps the the knowledge or the help. You know, like years ago, it would have been more not having, you know, being a little bit isolated, and not having help, not having yeah. anyone to sort of say, "Oh, look, you're doing this, you're doing that," or mm-hmm. um, yeah, just sort of having to muddle through things on your own a little bit is really tough. So I definitely recognise how tough that is for riders when, you know, they are a little bit isolated and they don't necessarily, you know, have regular help or regular lessons. Like yeah. it is, it's hard doing it on your own. Yes, yes. And it's not even, mm. I can't afford a lesson this week. It's, there's no trainers in my area. We've got to fly them in and they have to come and it's an yeah. expensive flight. And then you've got to have the numbers in the area, you know, which is a, a fairly selective, you know, smaller population because once you're out of Darwin, you're sort of out in the middle of nowhere again. Yeah, so it's tough just even organising a coach for the weekend. Yeah, and I mean, obviously that's not just up here. Mm. But there's, you know, obviously lots of people living in remote, well, <laughs> yeah, living, living in the bush or country Australia where they are a little bit isolated. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's definitely hard when you're trying to trying to sort of muddle through stuff on your own. And then the catch with that, I think, is that if you if you are, you know, back back then, particularly if if I was trying to trying to train a movement or something, if I was doing something wrong, well, I'd continue to be doing it <laughs> wrong probably for a length of time before anyone had corrected it. 
Yeah, yeah. So even that in itself was frustrating that there probably wasn't, you know, that there wasn't anyone consistent or regular that I could see that could help me. Okay, okay. So, yeah. All right. Now, I'm interested to talk about, you know, I know that you've said a couple of times, you know, how the horse is a reflection on you. This is something that um, the horse is. And I know you've worked in the juvenile correctional program. What was the biggest thing that you saw within that program, problems with the people coming in? And tell us some good news stories, you know, how they were fixed through their interaction with horses, not fixed as in just all of a sudden it's repaired, but how their lives improved because of the interaction with horses. Yeah, look, it was it probably surprised me a little bit. I, uh, You know, I probably underestimated how how important that was for some of those kids. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we had we had a lot of kids come in, you know, that were on juvenile diversion orders. So basically they've gone through the court system and then they've been, I guess, almost sort of like community service hours where they've sort of been ordered by the court to go and do so many hours of um, diversionary programs. So a lot of them were kids that, yeah, that had, you know, had come from dysfunctional families and, and had probably had pretty tough childhoods, but... Um, you know, and then obviously, um, yeah, had been in a bit of trouble. So um, it always surprised me, I guess. And look, for a lot of them, you know, some of them had learning learning difficulties. Some of them were flat out reading or writing. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them were really angry kids. You know, I liked they were, um, yeah, quite aggressive. And it's funny how working with the horses, I mean, horses are this great equaliser because it doesn't matter whether you – whether you come from a good background or not so good background or whether you're rich or poor or you read or write or whatever, um, they're a great equaliser because basically, you know, and it is really true that saying of the horse is a reflection of you. So a lot of these kids to start with, you know, they'd come on, they come in, most of them are quite, you know, quite angry with the world. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, they couldn't get near the horse. Mm, mm, yes. <laughs> and thing, you know, the, and and their body language, you know, was really aggressive, and they were really in your face, and yeah, so they couldn't get near a horse. <laughs> so you know, it's that thing of sort of going, well, you're going to have to turn that down a bit, because you know the horse doesn't want to bar of you like that. But yeah, it's just sort of really amazing to see uh, to see them change from when they'd first come in, and then and to have that responsibility of having something else that depended on them. So, you know, they'd obviously have to come in and, and feed their horse and do all of that sort of stuff. So, yeah, and just to see the, the connection that they would have with it. There mm-hmm. was something, yeah, that they didn't they didn't resent. And, yep. like, there was quite a few of them that actually after they'd finished their ordered hours yes. actually chose to keep coming back. Mm, but that was good. pretty cool, yep. you know, for me, that thing of going, oh, so you actually want to be here now, not mm. because you have to be here. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's good. That's good. Yes. Yeah. 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 If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. Okay. Now, thinking about just the knowledge that you've learned through the time that you spent with horses, what's a book that you'd recommend for our listeners? Um, 
I really like the equitation science stuff. So there's a great book called The Truth About Horses by Andrew McLean. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, it's a really good guide to um, just understanding horse behaviours and how training relates. Um, I sort of, I think what's really what's really tough about riding um, is that everybody everybody has to has to train horses. Everybody is training horses. Mm. So whether they choose to be professional trainers or not, everybody is training horses. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So it's that thing of yeah, that you don't get to be just a rider, but you sort of have to you have to make sure that you understand, you know, those foundation training principles. Mm-hmm. I think it's really important and, um, you know, to sort of know what rewards that behaviour. If something's happening that you don't that you don't want, yep. you know, to sort of ask yourself, well, what, what rewards that behaviour? Mm-hmm. And to understand the principles behind pressure and release training yes. um, is really important for all riders. Even kids, you know, we're sort of in a, in a more simple way we sort of talk about all that sort of stuff because they need to be able to understand it in a in a fairly logical way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, that makes sense. And I've got to tell you that the book The Truth About Horses by Andrew McLean, that's one of our more popular books as well. You know, I think there's been a lot of people Is on that? the program that recommend that book. It's a pretty pretty popular one, yeah. Oh, they've got good taste. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, Nicole, what are you looking forward to now? What does your future hold? Yeah, so I've got... I've got a couple of young horses coming on, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting some time on them um, over the off-season, so basically once our competition season finishes. Um, yeah, I'll sort of get to do a bit with them, and I'm always I'm always excited about, yeah, just having time to get out in the arena and just play with stuff. Yep. Um, and to refine your skills a little bit, and, and the, the young ones are always... Oh, that's amazing because they're this clean slate. Yeah. That ain't Yeah. <laughs> they're 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 quite um fascinating little creatures. So i <laughs> you, you can hear it in so your voice I'm, that I'm you're looking to forward to it. Play with them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Now if you're summarizing your philosophy with horses, you know, you're going to do it just in a few sentences because we've heard you talking for quite a while about it. If you're going to summarize it, what would you say? So yeah, probably just that that thing of that that all riders are training. Yep. You know, you are training horses, um, and to always have in everything that you do, absolutely everything, to have have the intention of training a response. Mm-hmm. So whether it's on the ground or whether it's under saddle or what, um, absolutely everything you do with the horse must be with the intention of training a response. So I think once we sort of are really aware and really focused on that idea of going, right, what am I actually saying and what's the answer that I'm looking for and then being really clear about rewarding it, then I just think, um, yeah, we'll start and train, train better horses and happier horses. Yes, yes. Okay. All right, Nicole, how can people contact you? What's the best way? So I've got um, Darwin Equestrian Academy. Yep. Um, has a Facebook page, so mm-hmm. they can find me on Facebook. Um, 
And, yeah, all my details are on there, obviously, my phone number and my email and that sort of thing. So they can look us up on Facebook and, um, yeah, happy to hear from anyone, hear from your listeners. Okay. And we'll actually put that link on your page at Horse Chats, which will be horsechats.com slash Nicole Madaba. But um, just go to Horse Chats and search for Nicole and you'll find that. And all those details will be there and the link to the Facebook page and phone number as well. So, All right, Nicole, thank you for talking to us today. Thank you for sharing your story with horses and, you know, about the horses that are living. Yeah, that are living in the Northern Territory, Northern Territory of Australia. It's certainly been a little bit different to understand different conditions, especially people that live in the colder climates. Yeah. And we'd love to have you back again sometime and uh, be talking a little bit more in a specialist area. Okay, so thank you. Okay, great. Thanks, Glenis. Bye. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government-accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below.